Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallat. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sipkis. Together, we host the Silver Screen Savers Podcast, a show about the world of cinema and a celebration of our love of movies. And today, we are talking about Thor, Love and Thunder, the fourth Thor-centered Marvel movie and the second in the new Thor style, headlined by Taika Waititi. We're also going to discuss the filmography of writer, actor, director Taika Waititi. We're going to get to our Thor review in just a second here, but before we did that, I just wanted to mention the passing of James Caan, who is a superb actor and Hollywood star for many decades in many different kinds of films, television shows. Of course, he was Sonny Corleone in The Godfather, but then he's Walter Hobbs in Elf, which is one of the best Christmas movies ever. Uh, Played Brian in Brian's Song, which is like the ultimate TV movie success story. I've said it before. I'll say it again. He has this crazy ability to switch between intensely threatening and then vulnerable and intimate within a moment within a scene right he will be sorely missed he was in so many things rollerball thief got in early with michael mann uh misery for him to be that perspective character through which to experience kathy bates that takes something special and he had it so he will be missed all right let's talk about thor love and thunder so for anybody who may not know this is basically about thor who's feeling lonely and empty inside. But when a god butcher threatens him and his people, he has to team up with an old flame to bring peace to new Asgard and to his inner being. This is directed by Taika Waititi, written by Waititi and Jennifer Caton Robinson. We have like three tiers of opinions here on the show today. So we're going to start with Tyler. I think I have the strongest opinion on this movie, just prefacing that. And I just want to start off by saying I loved Thor Ragnarok. I know there's like some kind of like new thing where like people are acting like it wasn't good and it ruined Thor. No, the first two Thors were awful. Ragnarok was great. I loved Ragnarok. So I was kind of hyped for this just to see what Taika Waititi returning would do. And I was so, so let down by this movie. I could not believe how much I did not like this movie. I don't think I laughed once during this movie, and it's made as a comedy. It's any, it's nothing else. There's, there's not one serious scene in this movie that's not immediately undercut by like a ton of terrible jokes by Korg. Korg, who I loved in Ragnarok, was used so much in this that I couldn't stand him. Uh, just none of the humor was good. I didn't laugh. I, I felt bored throughout most of this film. The only thing I really liked about this film was Christian Bale's performance, and they did not utilize him well at all. As the God Butcher, I think we saw him kill one god. So I just don't think they used him to his potential. And just every other scene was just like, oh my god, I just want this movie to end. Yeah, I I have to agree with a lot of what you said. I am more in the middle. I would say overall I didn't enjoy this as a watching experience. I don't hate it. I do think there are a lot of good elements here that are just maybe not super cohesive. There's some really, really cool set pieces Gore was an excellent villain, or at least sort of the outline, the shape of an excellent villain. They just didn't really use him enough. He wasn't particularly threatening. Um, And there were some interesting character dilemmas, which I'll avoid talking about for now. But by the end, I just really wanted it to be over. The humor falls very flat for me. That's a subjective thing. Um, But just so much of it was recycled. That was the most disappointing thing. At times, the humor got in the way of the story, some of the more serious elements. Um, it, it is disappointing as a movie for me, of course. I want to enjoy every movie, 
But like you said, especially after the absolutely electric Ragnarok and Helmsworth's great performance in Infinity War and Endgame, this was a letdown. I don't want to like spend this whole time comparing this one to Ragnarok, but just like as a point of reference, Waititi wanted to do something different, a different tone, a different kind of story than Ragnarok with this one, and I cheer him on. I want it, filmmakers to do something different. But whereas Ragnarok, which like, it was a singular package, right? It had something unique, it had a unique feel, and it stuck to it. This one was just like a little muddled, a little all over the place. This one felt like a sequel, which of course it is a sequel, so it should feel like it. But what I mean by it feels like a sequel is that it didn't feel like its own thing. It just felt like it was tacked on to another movie, if that makes sense. It didn't have its own anchor. Um, and like I said, a lot of the jokes either don't land or are just repeated. There was just like too much recycled material that I did not enjoy the second time. But Matt, why don't you tell us what you thought? I had a blast with this movie. I don't know what you guys were watching. Uh, I First of all, this is aesthetically one of my favorite Marvel movies, much like Ragnarok was. I love the aesthetic of, and like the play with colors that Taika's Thor movies have had. Especially when they get to that one point where all the colors just drop out because of where they are and just seeing the contrast and like the aesthetic of it i thought i thought that was very effective i also i dug the soundtrack i like guns and roses you know they're it's very guns and roses heavy but i liked it it was appetite for destruction yeah, yeah. which is the best guns and roses album so there's that um unlike you guys i thought more of the humor landed for me than expected. I wasn't really feeling it in the trailers, but in the context of a lot of the movie, I I enjoyed the stuff, especially some of the unexpected stuff. I liked the Screaming Goats. I, I was giggling every time that they used that bite. Honestly. Yeah. If the goats screamed one more time, I was walking out. <laughs> it You know, it was a good gag the first time, and then by about like the 23rd time, I was like, I don't know if I'm feeling this anymore. I, I don't know. I've, I've been chuckling about that I was ever since. Um, the thespians, I thought that was cool. The whole omnipotent city sequence was cool. I thought I thought there were some pretty funny parts in that. That was well done. Um, Jane's eagerness to find a catchphrase for herself. I thought that bit was pretty funny. I uh, I thought the Thor and Jane stuff worked better than I could have expected too. I um I didn't care about I didn't care about it during the first two. And this one, I mean, it doesn't do a perfect job, but it does enough of a job to get us through this movie and make me care about their relationship. Christian Bale's gore was fantastic, but I do agree it was a bit undercooked. Like, they could have used him more. I would have liked to see more of him. Valkyrie and Korg were there. I wouldn't say they were standouts, but I enjoyed their presence enough. I glad I was glad the Guardians didn't overstay their welcome either. I thought now as far as like the humor versus the serious roles, I feel like there was some heavy stuff, and I think the levity did enough to kind of cut that. I didn't think it did it too much. And like I said, the ultimate con for me is just I wanted a little more from the stuff that I really liked, like the gore. 
the Thor and Jane stuff, honestly, I, I would, I would have liked to see more of that personally. Um, and then of course the sweet addition of India Hemsworth, Chris's daughter, Chris's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a sweet thing for them to do to put her in that spot. I'm not going to say how it plays out or how it affects the story right now, but I don't know. I overall, I, I liked it. I didn't think, I mean, it wasn't perfect, but I liked it a lot. It was better than the last handful of Marvel movies we've and TV shows we've gotten though. It was somehow much worse. Yeah. I, so uh, before we go on, I, I will say that we don't usually do this this early, but I think right now we should add a spoiler warning because it's not like we're going to talk about the very end right now, but you know, some plot details might slip out. So if you don't want to know anything about Thor Love and Thunder, I'd say this is the warning right now. Spoiler warning. If you have not seen the following movie, please go watch that movie and come back or accept the consequences. Alright, so Matt, to your point about the Thor and Jane stuff, Jane Foster, I just have to say, not a character I particularly have cared about in the MCU, and I think a lot of that just has to do with them not really giving her much to work with here. And I have to say, this movie at least tries to give her something. I just didn't think it was enough. And to, I don't, I'll ask you guys this. Do you think that Hemsworth and Portman have chemistry together? Because I do not think they do. I just think that they're both good individual actors who carry the lack of chemistry. I, I was going to say the same. I, I think there was a distinct lack of chemistry that made me not really care about their relationship. And I think the MCU as a whole has this an issue with this. I mean, just the last movie, Doctor Strange, I, there's no chemistry between him and Rachel McAdams. <laughs> like, it's, Marvel does not do these relationship romantic stuff well. And it's just like, when it's in there, it just seems so forced. I didn't have a problem with it. I did. I, I, I'm just not a fan. And then her whole story of, you know, she has cancer and that is why she comes back, takes Mjolnir and gains the power to see if that will stop it. Again, it's a compelling story because then later she has to make this choice of, you know, do I want to save my own body, have more time, but kind of be in a dormant condition? Or do I want to live as the mighty Thor? Um, but, you know have my life end earlier which i thought was very compelling i just thought the whole cancer narrative was just kind of like generic cancer story clothed on jane foster it it was just over very quickly i mean that's kind of what i'm getting at as far as like i would have liked to see more with stuff like that yeah, I did too. I th- but I thought it, but I thought it was fine enough. Like I, I thought it worked well enough. I don't, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't want it to be a whole movie about a cancer story. But I thought it was, you know, an, an interesting way to play with the theme of like, you know, the, uh, I don't know how I would put it. Like, you know, using Mjolnir essentially as a, like a crutch to get past the inevitability of her condition. Um, but in doing so also, it obviously reunites them. Yeah. Well, that and, and using Mjolnir as a way to make the rest of her time matter and to sort of exalt herself into some sort of position. Right. I like that. I liked that setup and, but I, 
but yeah, that is one thing I'll concede is that it could have been done more, but I, I didn't think that that was necessarily bad bones there. Uh, Chris Hemsworth as Thor. It's interesting. Thor's in an interesting position because I believe that this is the most standalone hero-centered films of any Marvel hero so far. He's got four. And if we think about Thor's position, he's also like the remaining original Avenger. I know Hulk is somewhere out there, um, but as far as like the staple characters who are getting their own thing... It's Thor left, so he's like almost like a leftover. Um, so what about I, Hawkeye? Yeah, I was gonna say Hawkeye. Yeah, Hawk. Are we getting <laughs> Hawkeye movies? No, we We're are getting not. a show. They just made a show for him. Yeah, the shows are basically just long form movies. Okay, then Hawkeye too. My Which, apologies. Hawkeye was fan- was actually pretty good. That was like the last good Marvel show I remember watching. I haven't watched Ms. Marvel yet though. With that said, do you guys? want more Thor standalone content? I guess this goes into a larger question of Phase 4, is that we've been getting all these sort of separate things, which I'm fine with. Of course, it's early after Endgame, so, you know, having individual stories is is good. Do you guys want this building towards something good? Because they hint at it here with the connection to more mythologies, and they're bringing in all these gods and all this kind of stuff. Is that enticing? I'm I'd be fine with them doing solo stories if they were one good, which most of them are not, and two if they weren't just stories of the people that we've already seen. Like we've seen three other Thor movies, we've seen two other Spider-Man movies. Like I you started to kind of introduce, and then you're one of them is a flashback movie for a person who's dead in the universe. So like it's so jumbled and like out of place that I'm just so confused as to where it's headed, and I I just don't care honestly. I mean, I, I'm I'm being patient with it. I mean, it ha- they haven't all been hits for me, but I'm still holding out hope, and I'm trying to be patient with it because Rome wasn't built in a day. The Infinity Saga took ten years, so we're only on year like three. Wasn't built in a day. Wow, <laughs> said it all there. Uh, in this movie, I thought, you know, one of the kind of disappointing things is that this was a. Uh, a letdown for me but like I feel like everybody is tuned in Chris Hemsworth has really taken this new Thor persona this vibe and really run with it I think he's you know he's great as this comedic, but still very commanding both in his presence and his physicality sort of thing um Natalie Portman I I, who I think is an excellent actress just was not on the same page as everybody in this movie I thought her comedic performance was was not there at all she, her comedy was kind of like an awkward comedy and it didn't translate well at all no like, like the catchphrases and stuff i thought that was horrible cringeworthy stuff um but like i don't think anyone besides maybe chris hemsworth and christian bale was on any kind of level in this movie like uh, taika waititi as korg and tessa thompson's valkyrie were there just for comedic effect I don't think they said one line that wasn't supposed to be a joke in this movie. So, like, I don't think anyone was really given a shot. Yeah, the Valkyrie thing is disappointing because Tessa Thompson's really great and she really got a chance to shine in Ragnarok. Uh, In this one, she's sidelined a little bit. She's just kind of like a lot. I'm not saying she doesn't do anything cool. She does, but I, I did want more of her story. Frankly, I'd be more interested in, like, a her and Thor connection than a jane and thor thing i just find them to be two more interesting characters and and korg i think is like 
the prime example of something that worked well in a small dose previously and it's just done too much now i thought the same exact thing with like the the play where matt damon is making the cameo and you know they're thor and loki like that was funny the first time this time it was unfunny and went on way too long. You well, just don't well, want Luke Hemsworth to have work. Yeah. That's <laughs> also, true. it's really weird how like everybody in Chris Hemsworth's family was in this film. Yeah, that's fine. It's cool. I'll tell you who shines, and that's Russell Crowe as Zeus here. I think on the first day when he showed up, Taika just gave him one note and he said, "Go for it." And Russell went, "All right." And then he's just like, I'm just going to do a, a Mediterranean-esque accent. I'm going to do some dance moves. And I, I found it entertaining. I liked him a lot. I agree. I I found it all right for the beginning. And then it just dragged on too long. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm done. Well, Tyler, this. you're not invited to the orgy then. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah. Those... <laughs> if you, you know, if you think... <laughs> That was another one that was like, all right, one one less mention of the orgy would have been great. Uh, I, I do like how this movie attempts to kind of dive into what is the role of a god, right? A god is somebody with divine powers but who has human feelings and as a consequence has divine responsibilities. Um, but what does that mean, like, right? What is a healthy commitment to yourself and your own feelings what is a healthy commitment to the people um, whose lives your actions affect right what does it mean to be a leader I, I thought there was a nice exploration of that with Thor and his sort of lonely feelings I there was sort of a mixed allegory here and maybe I'm reading too far into this with the power dynamic with gore so gore let's just talk about his origin story right he is on sort of a desert landscape um, he prays to a certain god to heal his daughter. His daughter ends up dying. He meets the god, and the god, like, laughs in his face. This was one of the scenes where I'm like, this was, like, a, a touch too silly for me to take it that seriously. One, I found that that guy looked very strange. He was just, like, an enlarged human. I, I don't know. Was that normal for you guys? I just found no, it weird I to look it, at. It looked very odd. Like it's not gonna look well good. I, I thought it was fine. I mean, and I also, I just enjoy the whole contradiction, or, or not necessarily contradiction, but questioning of deities in general when that gets touched well, on in the media. That is too, and we get a great character in in Gore because he shows what happens when people feel dispensable, right? He is somebody, he, he's a father, he loves his daughter, but he sees that he is absolutely nothing to the gods, so he wants to destroy them. But this is where it gets complicated. Gore puts his trust in a higher power, and he was wronged, right? So he was wronged. He was somebody trying to do the right thing who was wronged by an authority figure. And I apologize if I'm lecturing. So he uses violence against that power that wronged him, right? So in essence, he is rebelling against an oppressive power. Am, am I making sense so far? Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. So he's rebelling against an oppressive power. But then somewhere along the way, he's becoming the villain, right? His methods are going too far, which again, I don't... There was a disconnect between the gore that we see in the beginning and this like disgusting, vile god butcher that we see later in the film right like what happened to this guy it's underdeveloped 
because now he's the villain and now Thor and all the people with him who are we consider heroes are now just using violence against him so I find the whole allegory like a little muddled well as far as the corruption goes wasn't it implied that the sword corrupts its owner and so yeah that's true him? I just uh, yeah but like, that's how that's how it happened well. like quit asking questions <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean I kind of wish it showed him more like you know like he's killing gods that are well, bad yeah. but then like he starts to kill gods that are more benevolent and that's kind of right. like the yeah passage of him into going too far but it's just kind of like oh, he's just been killing gods <laughs> yeah I, I agree that that could have been fleshed out more for sure but Which is I, too I bad didn't, because I didn't dislike what we had, either. I didn't dislike what we had either, but it just it was a it was a puzzle that was missing a few pieces, and it's especially disappointing because Christian Bale was so great as Gore. He gave an excellent performance. You know, he was creepy, but you could understand where he was coming from. So I just don't know where that disconnect comes in. Um, his planet, I thought, was an excellent sequence, and this this whole film is kind of like I would say visually a mixed bag like his mm-hmm. planet the black and white where he is the leader and he's you know running around with almost like spewing black goo it was it was very fascinating his looked great the shadow creatures that he made they looked great a couple of things did not like i said the god in the beginning and the floating head of <laughs> axel um <laughs> who was played by let's just say i really really liked uh kieran dyer who played axel in this he he was great and i i'd like to see him more in future films but like when he was sending a message to thor and it was just like his floating head i was like oh this looks bad it's an astral projection get over it look like stargate sg1 like first season (laughs) yeah it was it wasn't great i mean they did a lot of good stuff but i didn't think all of it was was fantastic I thought I thought most most of this movie was not visually great in my opinion. Like the battle in New Asgard where it's dark, you can't even see the monsters. You're like, what is going on? It just you see a it's main a character dark. feeling like they're against a green screen. Like the lighting was just for them and no one else. I I hated them. the shadow yeah. monsters. Sucked. I hated them. I thought they were stupid. I didn't think they. I think they could have been a little more clear, but I liked them overall. I, I feel like it would have been better for more gore in these scenes than just, ah, we're fighting sh- shadow monsters that aren't really doing anything. They're just kind of there as we're blowing them apart. Yeah, that was, I mean, the Omnipotent City, that was fun with the different gods. Um, and it was, you know, it was very visually well done. I liked Russell Crowe's performance. It was, did you guys think that he was dead when Thor threw the lightning bolt through his chest? Yeah, kind of. I, this whole movie, this whole like universe is so averse to death. Like nobody can die fully. Zeus doesn't die. Valkyrie doesn't die when she gets injured. I'm not saying I want people to die, um, but they're just there. Always has to be like anytime anybody dies, there has to be like, well, they can come back this way, or we're gonna see him again. Don't worry. I don't know. I don't. I don't always mind it, but it it's. I guess it gets a little wearing sometimes. Here's one thing. I like the scene where Thor goes to face Gore as he's going to go to eternity, it is called, right? Am I correct about that? Yes. Yes. 
So he's going to eternity to get his wish granted. Thor tries to stop him. Jane has to make this hard choice um, to, you know, to either, frankly, live a longer life or live a shorter life as the mighty Thor. And then all the kids come. Thor transfers his powers. But I was having... I had like an internal debate with myself during this scene because we see all the kids get these powers and it reminded me about this odd trend in not just this movie, but I find that, and not even just in the MCU, but in like superhero movies in general, often when characters are feeling most empowered, it's often connected with an act of violence as a means of conflict resolution, if that makes sense, which is... A complicated thing because we go to see superhero movies because of the action and you know beating people up and all that stuff and that's all fine and good but at the same time like I said the main empowerment is through gaining some ability and skill to be violent and which most often ends with like killing an adversary um, and I was just thinking like is there a way to feel empowered with you know super abilities without like having to kill somebody do you know what i mean no <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know i, I never really look really th- no think twice way. about it well i i think about the scene and we already had a whole show about this so sorry to repeat but i think about the scene in spider-man 2 where the train is going crazy and spider-man is just using his powers purely to save other people and it's such like a beautiful human moment, even though he's a human spider. And I, I don't know. It's just like it just happens too often for my taste. It's like, oh, the best version of myself is the person that can beat everybody up whenever I want. I mean, technically, in this one, he was saving the kids. He was defending. Yeah, the kids. he was saving. I mean, it was a fine sequence and everything. I don't know. It's just like I don't think it's a mistake or anything. It just like slightly rubs me the wrong way that it's always like this. Uh, but then after that, we get the Eternity, um, again, the daughter's rebirth, this I'm, series am, cannot commit to death. I am so sick of just the last second, oh, villain's good now. Like, it, it wasn't earned in any way, shape, or form, no, and it's it so, done so often. And it's just like, this man murdered gods left and right, and he's just like, ah, you know what, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's fine, I'm not gonna do it. Like, come on. <laughs> again, that was a conclusion that I could have... That logically made sense to me, but like we, some of the railroad tracks were missing to get there. I, I didn't hate it, but it was like, it was a last two seconds. Oh no, he's good. Well, that's that's why they got to release the Taika cut. They don't. They don't keep that locked away forever. Um, but also, like I was thinking, like you know, all they needed was Stormbreaker to get to Eternity. The Avengers could have solved the Thanos issue very, very easily without time travel and stuff. They had the Stormbreaker. They could have just went to Eternity, <laughs> just been like, "Hey, can you undo this?" Maybe, like, yeah, sure. We get to Jane's death, which was sad. Um, and you know, we 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 get this nice moment of Thor having to open up his heart to the world and not to be so closed off and everything that was a nice thing um and it'll be i don't do you guys think we're going to see natalie portman again because we do see jane and valhalla very briefly in the post credit scene she's gonna be the new valkyrie that would be disappointing i like tessa thompson as valkyrie 
They're both going to be Valkyrie. Yeah, you can have dumb. you can have more than one. I know you can have more than one, but they're going to rebuild the Valkyries. Make it make that a series or a movie. Also, I feel like not enough people are talking about how badass Mjolnir is in this one. How it can like break apart and reassemble at will. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it was it was nice. I liked it. I I thought the action was not as well directed in this one as it was in in Ragnarok, which oh, mm-hmm. sorry, I I compared again, so my apologies on that. Um it I, was still good. As cool as Mjolnir was, I thought all the stuff about like, oh, my ex-weapon was so stupid. Uh, <laughs> see, I I thought that was funny too. I I got a yeah. chuckle out of that. I mean, your mileage will vary. Again, I'm in the middle. I I thought it was funny the first couple of times, and then they just did, did it one too many times. Uh, and then, you know, the the post credit scene, we get Brett Goldstein as Hercules. That was interesting. Zeus is not dead. He has to call on Hercules. Um, I I don't know when we're going to see him, because these things happen, like, so far in advance that, like, you forget that these post credit scenes happened. You know um, what? This made me think of Harry Styles. How long ago did we see him? And we just kind of update, like, And then it's just like, oh, you're not going to see him forever. It was not even six months ago. Well, yeah, that's true. Ago, I don't actually. Just feel like, I it feel like it turned out so long ago. It was eight months ago. Less than a year. Give it a, give it uh, some time. Have some patience. Yeah, Wasn't just, that like September that that came out? The Eternals? Nah, I think it was a little later. No, it was November. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, that's... Also, given given the theme of GNR, you need to have your little patience. Noted. That's the moral of the podcast. See, I don't want patience because I don't care about any of these movies anymore. Like, I don't care. They're like, be patient for it. No, I, I don't care. I, I wouldn't be watching these if I didn't have to review them. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Matt, I'm going to ask you this. So in Phase 4, I'll list list the ones we've gotten so far. We've gotten Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, No Way Home, Doctor Strange, and then this one. Which Where does this stand within that pack for you? Toward the top, I would say. Um, I'd say No Way Home, then probably Shang-Chi, and then maybe this, and then Black Widow. And then other than... And then the rest of them are kind of, I feel like they've been kind of in a slump without, besides No Way Home ever since Eternals. Hmm. Which, I'm not saying they're, like, wholly bad, they just didn't hit for me. Yeah, I don't think any of them have been absolutely terrible. I feel like, you know, Black Widow deserved better than what we got with that. Yeah, Black Widow just came out a little too late. I think that was its biggest downfall. Yeah. But, um... I can I can appreciate and I can see why people liked the other series and movies, but it just they haven't resonated with me as much. And this was a nice return to like me being excited about a Marvel movie. Yeah, cool. Well, next we are getting. It's still unclear as to when Black Panther: Wakanda Forever is coming out. Um, I don't know at this point if it will be this year, which will be interesting. We got She-Hulk uh, coming out next month. Oh yeah, that's true. She-Hulk uh, movies. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. get a new Ant-Man. I have to be honest. I forget that Ant-Man is in the MCU often. 
And How is there going to be a third Ant-Man? <laughs> There's three of them? Uh, Quantumania. Uh, Guardians 3, Excited, The Marvels, and then the Fantastic Four. At what point are they just going to bring in the X-Men? Call it now. Like, What's the month and the year that we're going to see the X-Men? Uh, well, it depends on if you've seen Miss Marvel or not, because I read some spoilers on that, and yeah. Oh, all right. I guess we'll we'll save it I, then. I guarantee they're gonna show up in person, unless they do in this show. I don't know what the spoilers are, um, but they're gonna show up in person in the Fantastic Four, like post credits. Hmm, that would be interesting. And then let's just call this now. Will Hugh Jackman have a cameo? Maybe not even as Wolverine. Will he have a cameo anywhere? He's gonna be a multiversal Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> he might be in the next Deadpool, honestly. Oh I yeah, see that's that. true. I forgot about that. When is connection. that happening? Is that is that happening soon? Uh, they uh, they're working on it. Is what I've last seen. Like it's greenlit. It's being worked on. Well, those are our thoughts on Thor: Love and Thunder. We're gonna take a brief break and then talk about the filmography of Taika Waititi after a word from our podcast friends. Hey, you there? Do you like podcasts? Are you tired of the bullshit? Well, this is not the podcast for you. Actually, it is. And we are... The Lords of Swine! We discuss nerd culture. And we drop every Tuesday on any platform. We're literally everywhere. All right, we are back talking about actor, writer, director, Taika Waititi. We're going to move through his director filmography, but also talk a little bit about his other stuff too. The thing I think of first when I think of him is that he has the ability to just make you laugh consistently and then break your heart like within a moment's notice. Mm -hmm. Similar to what I said with James Caan earlier, but like in the director and writer chair, it's just like in a moment, sometimes you'll be laughing, then he'll just have like an image. Boy has one of the best examples of this. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh man, that's crazy. Um, He really knows how to please an audience, which is a very impressive thing that not everybody knows how to do. He's also great at making each character pop. Right, even those that are not central to the plot or who are just kind of there maybe for a scene or two, he really knows how to highlight them and like take the best part of that character and make it shine. He's got these very distinct, fantastical visual style that even like in the ground his more grounded stories he has it. Um, really awesome collaborations with Rachel House, Jermaine Clement, amongst many others. And then like interestingly, as I was rewatching some of his stuff, I'm like Oh, there are a lot of like deceased parents in his movies. Yeah, like that happens <laughs> often, um, which is yeah. an interesting thing. You know, as, as mentioned, in in addition to writing, directing, he's currently producing and or directing in the TV show of what we do in the shadows, The Mandalorian, Reservation Dogs, Our Flag Means Death. Right, he's made appearances in Suicide Squad, Lightyear, and I would say he's delightful in all these things. He has a a lightness about him that I think is very appealing. What do you guys think of Taika Waititi? 
I just want to say everything you just said about him praising him does not apply to Thor: Love and Thunder. Uh, we're, we're, done that. That. we're done with that. We're done with that. I'm just saying because I was laughing through all this and I'm like, no, this doesn't apply to this. It's, it's all right. But anyway, I mean, I agree with what you said. I think he is very funny. Uh, I do think sometimes his co- he uses comedy too much in scenes that should be more it's serious. Fair. That kind of undercut him. I think Jojo Rabbit um, was a big example of that, but. Um, I definitely think, for the most part, he hits with his comedy, which is why I was shocked at how much I didn't like his latest movie. Yeah, he he begins, um, he did a short film, which was Oscar-nominated. Uh, he begins his feature directing career in 2007 with Eagle vs. Shark, uh, which is about, it's a quirky whirlwind romance between a lonely young woman named Lily and a young man who is seeking to fight his old nemesis. Uh, Taika wrote and directed and crafted the story with Lauren Horsley, who stars as Lily. She's great. It's a fun romance. It has some super funny, really humorous moments, some great emotional development. Um, As I said, it it shows that he has that excellent ability to really kind of creep up with you, making you laugh, making you laugh, and then hits you right in the heart, Um, gut punches you, that kind of thing. And he also used a lot of cool visual techniques in this one. You know, this is a live-action movie, but there's like... This whole animation sub-story about two Apple cores finding each other, and it kind of like weaves in and out of the movie pretty organically. I like that a lot. Uh, as I said, Lauren Horsley is fantastic in this. She really makes the movie for me. Jemaine Clement is also really funny. Um, the momentum kind of comes in and out. I wouldn't say it's like electric from start to finish, um, but that's okay. I don't think it's that kind of movie. It's a really great debut. And then we get Boy in 2010 that is about an 11 year old boy who lives with his siblings his cousin his grandmother on a farm in new zealand uh he idolizes his father his absent father but when his father comes home and he kind of gets to know him for the first time he isn't all that boy believed he was matt what do you think about boy i saw this one most recently i uh i thought it was really really good um it really does a good job of of like layering these heavy themes with like just enough levity to make it enjoyable. Um, like you said before, Mike, the there's the the two main characters. You know, there's the boy and his father Alamein, or Shogun as he likes to be called. And but there there's also just like a solid cast of like supporting characters that sort of sort of come in and out, like the little brother Rocky who has a lot to do with why the father has been so absent. Yeah. Um, and Rachel House is the aunt who, like, has every job in the village. Yeah, like she's funny. She, oh, God, she's fantastic <laughs> in yeah. everything I see her. I love Rachel House. Love her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I liked her. We're going to be talking about another Rachel House one later. A couple, several, because she's a frequent collaborator with Taika, actually. Mm-hmm. But, um... I just, in, in that scene you were talking about, where it's just like, it, you're having, like, it's, it's not necessarily like a great time, like happy fun time kind of great time, but you're, go, it's going along, it's going along, you start to, you know, seems like things are finally starting to turn up, and then that gut punch of a scene happens, and you're just like, oh my god, you know. And it's like a flicker, too. Yeah. It's barely even a scene, it's like, boom, yeah. boom, done. But and that you understand so much. Yeah, that just it just that one hit that scene hit me pretty hard. Yeah. Um, I'd love to dive deeper into this movie at some point. 
I don't know how, how or when, but yeah. Well, if we yeah, if we can uh, get that going, I would like that a lot. This this did really well. It broke records at the New Zealand box office. Uh, strikes a similar tone, I would say, to Eagle versus Shark. There's a lot of great comic and emotional elements coming together. I love Rocky the brother who keeps like organically finding evidence that he actually has superpowers. That was really funny. It really nails a lot of the joys and pitfalls of growing up, uh, particularly as a boy, and like the pressures and the mistakes that you make to try to please people who maybe you shouldn't be trying to please. Also does a great job of like juxtaposing how you imagine the world when you're a kid versus how things actually are. And this is where his visual style comes in because there's a lot of really cool artwork that is cut in with the live action stuff that is showing the reality of the story. Um, James Rolleston, he's wonderful as boy, the titular character. And again, with this one, like the momentum isn't totally there the whole time, but that may actually be a good or bad thing depending on what you want. On one hand, it, it makes things like drag a tiny little bit. On the other hand, sometimes you do want a movie to reflect like the actual ebb and flow, slowing and stopping or speeding up of time. And I, I do think it has that kind of effect. After Boy, we get What We Do in the Shadows in 2014, which is uh, just as a comedic, but like conceptually a very big departure from the previous two. This is just a mockumentary about vampire roommates in modern New Zealand. Very simple, high concept, but simple execution. You guys like this one? Yeah, I thought that was very funny, honestly. Um, I think for most of the part, I was laughing. I don't think there was much that I really had an issue with. Um, just this is one of the roles of Taika that I just find genuinely funny whereas like most of his acting I I'm not that into honestly but this one really worked for me yeah I think this one is just such a good good uh, example of doing the most with not a lot yeah of a premise yeah, you know right. yep. takes a little and does great. a lot um, it's it's funny it's witty there are some good bits in it like recurring bits Um it's just you know it's simple but it's fun and i like i, I like yeah. that movie a lot yeah how many other movies can you laugh in a line with? it's like we're not we're werewolves not swear <laughs> yeah that was funny the werewolves are funny like the guy who aged to 90 while he was like waiting for, for the guy to turn him into a vampire that was funny <laughs> or like the when uh i forgot which what his name was tyke but taika's vampire where he's like uh, some people call me a cradle robber because I'm 304 and she's 96. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was a nice through line throughout. Yeah. Um, this one was co-written and co-directed by longtime collaborator Jermaine Clement, who also stars in it. Yeah, it's really great. It provides you with like an old gothic feeling and production design that you want with vampires, but brings it into the modern world. I, I think it might be my favorite type of performance. I think he's just really tuned into this one. I like him a lot. Uh, then in 2016, we get Hunt for the Wilder People. This is based on the book Wild Pork and Watercress by Barry Crump. I don't even want to say too much because you should definitely watch this one. It's a it's about a juvenile delinquent who runs away when tragic circumstances mean that he might be going back into foster care. I think it's Taika's best movie. He perfected the elements of being really funny and really heartbreaking. Um even moment to moment, but what do you guys think about this one? Well, my my first exposure to Julian Dennison as an actor was in Deadpool 2. Oh. And 
realistically, that really wasn't my favorite role. Uh, well, like, I didn't really care for him in that, I should say. Right. Um, even though I did enjoy the movie overall. But then to go back and watch this, it was like night and day. Uh, between him, a phenomenal Sam Neill, just like a, a heartfelt adventure through the forest with like plenty of levity and like misunderstandings that just <laughs> add to the just this the, like the hilarity but the sincerity of it. Rachel House is the um, the <laughs> the agent that's trying to track them down and and find them in the woods. She yeah, was her great. TV appearance is maybe the best part of the movie. <laughs> um, but but how could I how could I not mention the Ricky Baker birthday song <laughs> from like the beginning? <laughs> oh man, if you haven't if you haven't listened to it or haven't seen the movie, just look. Well, I think it's in the trailer, but just like go on YouTube, look up Ricky Baker birthday song, and yeah, it's it's, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, I. Everything you said is is absolutely on point. Uh, Rima de te, te, excuse me, Rima de te Wiata, excuse me, got tongue tied. Uh, she is sweet as can be playing Ricky's foster mother, um, and it just makes her character arc that much more effective. I thought she was perfect. It, it is. It's just a really beautiful adventure movie and a movie about like making a new life when you thought that yours was over but there's still some gas left in the tank and you got to figure out what you're going to do with that after that we get thor ragnarok in 2017 um i think it's one of the best mcu movies it is like a revival of a series that was at a way down point it's funny it looks amazing there are riveting sequences especially the beginning Matt Damon proves that he is the king of the cameos in this one. The reveal of Hulk is like an insane moment in this thing. Um, and Kate Blanchett is just wow. It, absolutely incredible. It also was nice to have a female villain. Speaking of Matt Damon cameos, do you remember his one in No Sudden Move? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> the Ford, the Ford exact. <laughs> Also, we get Billy Butcher in it, which is always that a is plus. true. Carl Urban, yeah, that's true. I, yeah, it's a shame. I really, really like Ragnarok. It's, it's a really long movie, but it's one of those that I don't think that much is wasted in it. No, it's it's really like continuously funny and entertaining, which is you know why I'm shocked that this one wasn't as yeah good yeah nearly as good. Get it. No, I'm just saying, like, I genuinely, I watched this again, and I was blown away by, like, how much I still enjoyed it, and I'm like, I figured it would be waning on me, but no, it did not. I still like it so yeah. much. Do you like Ragnarok, Matt? I loved I loved Ragnarok. I, I'm not going to argue and lie and say that Love and Thunder was better than Ragnarok, but... Yeah, I I just, I guess, I don't know. It was so impressive that... Well, we've been through I don't need to say it again. 2019, we get an interesting movie in Jojo Rabbit. Uh, this is about a Nazi youth whose imaginary friend is Hitler, who discovers that his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in a secret room in their home. It's based on the book Caging Skies by Christine Thunens. Um, this was kind of like Taika's high, big, at least sort of American big profile leap after Thor Ragnarok. Um, this one was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. How do you guys feel about Jojo Rabbit? 
So I, I like Jojo Rabbit. I thought it was a good movie. I don't think it's as great as people act like it is. I like I guess their highest profile defenders. Um, but I, I do think it was good. I loved like the auxiliary characters like the Sam Rockwell, um, Rebel Wilson. I thought they were hilarious in their wow, roles. Wow, I never thought you'd say um, that. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, that's Sam I thought Rockwell. She was good he's in that. he's uh, <laughs> waiting for a hit. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no. And then um oh my god, I can't even think of his name. The the other kid Archie Yates. Archie Yates, yeah, he was good. And then the, the two movies I seen him in, my opinion <laughs> skyrocketed to the ground, into the ground. So I home I, home, sweet, home alone or whatever. I also had this in my notes. Matt, when you said that you first saw Julian Dennison in in Deadpool two and you're like I didn't like him as much in that movie after. I was like, that's exactly the arc of Archie Yates. <laughs> Taika had him in something. He was fantastic, and he goes somewhere else, and it's like, ooh, no. Look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to gush about this movie because Jojo Rabbit was one of my favorite movies of 2019. Absolutely. I, I will defend it. Um, I mean, I'm not going to go too deep into it, I guess, but I, I just I really enjoyed it. I think... It does a great job of bringing like very morbid satire, but layering it with some genuine heart and making us laugh at the in, in at any point in the timeline that it that it takes place in is just so it's a feat in my opinion. Um, and I mean the it's got such an ensemble cast that all all are on top of their game in it. I mean I mentioned a few of them already, but it's got. Scarlett Johansson, Sam Rockwell, Rebel Wilson, as well as the young cast. You got Roman Griffin Davis. You got Thomas and McKenzie, who's already going on to do, you know, really good things on top of this. Archie 8's not so much, and I'm just going to kind of sweep that one. He was good in this one. He was good. He was good in this one, though. And, I mean, I thought Taika achieved what he wanted to do playing the role of Hitler. <laughs> I, I will say, I thought the weakest part of it to me was Taika Waititi. No, I, I I thought I thought it served a purpose, and I thought it did well enough. I thought it was good. I, 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 I loved that movie, honestly. Yeah, I, I like this movie quite a bit. I don't love it. I remember it affected me much more dramatically than comedically. Like, I remember I was, like, heartbroken at one point during this movie, but, like, I didn't, I didn't laugh that much. <laughs> Um, you know, it's a great story about stolen lives, about overcoming this strong tide, this wave of societal agreement and conformity, um, and mostly about like just sticking to your morals and taking action to express your beliefs despite cruelty that is happening around you. Um, uh, Taika won Best Adapted Screenplay, I believe, for this, and this whole thing was nominated for six Oscars. That one, plus Best Picture, Supporting Actress, Costume Design, Editing, and Production Design, which I think 2019 is probably, like, the strongest movie year in the last several years. So for it to break through that pool um, was great. Yeah, I like that one. I will say, real quick, Thomason McKenzie has had a roller coaster of a career since this. You got Power of the Dog, Old, and Last Night in So. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I mean they're they they're all projects with promise. Uh, let's talk about the future quickly. Taika, who is a busy man, 
is rumored to be doing about nine bazillion things. He's going to have next goal wins. Uh, I believe that film is completed. It's just kind of waiting a release. I don't know if there's any more post-production to be done. So we're going to get that at some point. I read that he might be doing a live-action version of Akira, the beloved film, which that would be incredibly interesting. That sounds like one of those that's like, Never going to see the actual light of day. Not that I don't want it to, but we'll see. Maybe I'll be wrong. Um, Star Wars does, if he's going to keep going into this this studio system, Star Wars seems like the logical next step. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I think I would enjoy him in that universe. That universe is in, in need of some freshening up, uh, at least on the cinematic side. Hmm. Not if it's anything like his last film. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I agree. Final thoughts on Taika. Tone down the comedy a little bit, Taika. You're getting a little overboard here. <laughs> a little bit, little bit I'm down. sure he'll take that under advisement. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad he is. Just keep doing what you're doing, Taika. We love you. I do, anyway. Alright, if you have any thoughts on Taika Waititi, on Thor Love and Thunder, on the upcoming live-action Akira, please write to us. Here's the email address, silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. If you really like the show, please do us a favor, rate and review on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at ScreensaversPod, and our Facebook is Silver Screen Savers Podcast. Matt, where can you be found online? You can find me over at MattyXTurds, S-T-U-R-D-Z. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Tyler. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tyler Sutkus, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Tyler96. And I can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Michael underscore Gallat, and on Letterboxd at MGallat. Well, thank you all so much for sticking with us. We'll see you next time. Hashtag release the Taika Cut. Stay down to bone. Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallant, Tyler Sukkis, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, intro music by Charles Michel via Pixabay, logo design by Nathan Seidel.